All right, let's talk about the first half of Volume 3 of Pride and Prejudice. We begin with Pemberley House. Uh, Elizabeth is going with her aunt and uncle to see the grounds at Pemberley and the house itself, which is where, of course, Mr. Darcy lives, but she's carefully uh, found out that Mr. Darcy won't be there, so she won't have to be embarrassed. Now, this is where we begin to see Elizabeth's ideas and feelings about Darcy really change. She started out realizing that she had uh, thought ill of him when she didn't have cause, uh, particularly about Wickham. But now she begins to think positively about Darcy. And one of the ways that we begin to see this before she even sees Darcy uh, is the estate itself. Uh, it says at the beginning of uh, chapter 1, volume 3, Elizabeth was delighted. She had never seen a place for which nature had done more or where nat natural beauty had been so little contra uh, counteracted by an awkward taste. So this is just kind of the idea. It's a perfect place. It's natural, but the things that they've done to it uh, that, you know, that are unnatural uh, don't look that way. It's just everything just blends perfectly. And she says, They were all of them warm in their admiration, and at the moment she felt that to be mistress of Pemberley might be something. And we get an exclamation point. Uh, Jane Austen doesn't use a lot of exclamation points. Uh, but here she's thinking, wow, imagine, because she knows Darcy proposed to her. If she had said yes, she would be the, this would be her house. Now, we see that kind of the beauty of the house and the tastefulness of it. When they go inside, um, it says she's struck by how well furnished it is. Uh, it was neither gaudy nor uselessly fine with less splendor and more real elegance than the furniture at Rosings. So Lady Catherine's, uh, uh, as you know, she's a beautiful and uh, state and rich, but it's not as refined and elegant as this. And again, uh, Elizabeth finds herself thinking, I might have been mistress. Uh, of this and of this place, I might have been mistress. With these rooms, I might now have familiarly acquainted. Instead of viewing them as a stranger, I might have rejoiced in them as my own, and welcomed to them my, as visitors, my aunt and uncle. Uh, but no, recollecting herself, that could never be. My uncle and aunt would have been lost to me. I should never have been allowed to invite them. So here, again, she's trying on the idea of being Mrs. Darcy, kind of in a, in a roundabout way, not thinking about Darcy himself, but thinking about his house. But she, the, the qualification is, oh, yeah, but Darcy can't stand my family. He'd never have let me invite my aunt and uncle. Now, uh, another way that we get a, an, an increased appreciation for Darcy is the housekeeper, Mrs. Reynolds, and her glowing report of him about what a wonderful guy he is. And the picture that uh, the housekeeper, Mrs. Reynolds, gives is very different from the picture that uh, Elizabeth has had of him. When he talks about, they mention that Mr. Darcy isn't married, and uh, uh, the housekeeper says, I do not know who is good enough for him. Uh, or she says, I have never heard, a cr uh, never had a cross word from him in my life. 
And she's known him since she was four years old. Again, that's, you know, she thought of, Elizabeth thought of Darcy as this kind of very standoffish, ill-tempered man. And it turns out, no, he's not like that at all. And the uh, the housekeeper says, some people call him proud, but I am sure I never saw anything of it. Uh, so here we're seeing, again, a very, very different picture of Darcy. And, of course, to no one's surprise who is a, a careful reader uh, or, is, as again, has read any story ever, uh, Darcy does show up. They're talking to the gardener. Uh, this is the bottom of page 170. And notice that uh, Jane Austen does not give the word-for-word details of this conversation. Uh, she's Now, she was, as you know, she's a master of dialogue. She could have given this all dramatized, but she doesn't. And I think the reason she doesn't is that the actual words are not nearly as important as the feelings that are going along with it. She doesn't want you to get caught up in, the, in witty banter here. And for one thing, there isn't, doesn't seem to be a lot of witty banter at this point. She wants you to understand how they're feeling. Look at the bottom of page 170. Their eyes instantly met, and the cheeks of each were overspread with the, uh, with the deepest blush. So they're both embarrassed. Um, and they kind of fumble their way through this. And it says that Elizabeth was amazed at the alteration in his manner since they had last parted. Every sentence that he uttered was in, uh, increasing her embarrassment. So this, he's acting very differently. He seems so much of a, a gentleman here. Um, now, Elizabeth thinks this all the time, but Darcy seems so different now. Now, his now his manners do seem he does seem more relaxed at home he does seem more gracious now i think that he has changed since their last meeting in, in in a real way but part of the reason that he seems different now is that elizabeth thinks about him differently now she sees him in a more positive light and so the things that he does and says seem more positive to her uh, and we see how very gracious he is he when Darcy hears that uh, uh, her, the Mr. Gardner, the, her uncle, uh, likes to fish, he says, well, uh, you, you, ha- you can have the run of the place. Anytime you want to come fish here, just let me know, and I'll provide the, uh, the, the equipment. We, we'll, we'll set that up. Uh, and, and Elizabeth is quite glad that she's got relatives that aren't embarrassing to her, uh, because that was one of the sticking points with Darcy. Um, and she says at the top of 174, why is he so altered? From what can it proceed? It cannot be from me. It cannot be for my sake that his manners are thus softened. My my, uh, reproofs at Hunsford could not work such a change as this. It is impossible that he should still love me. Well, of course, that's exactly what it is. That is the reason. But she's not, you know, she can't accept that. and Darcy's graciousness in, increases, he is inviting them to meet his sister. Uh, so he's actually invited them to dinner. Uh, this is very, very different than the Darcy that we met at the beginning of the novel. And it seems, though Elizabeth can't believe it, it's because of his deep affection for her. And the gardeners are very impressed with him as well. They say that he is perfectly well-behaved, polite, and unassuming. And it says there, that's what Mr. Gardner says. And Mrs. Gardner says, there is something a little uh, stately in him, to be sure, but it is confined to his air and is not unbecoming. 
So say so, yes, there is something that is kind of of uh, stately, kind of reserved, but it's it's very becoming. It's not uh, it's not arrogant or prideful or any of that. And her aunt and uncle are um, can't believe that somebody who is as nice as this could have treated treated Wickham so evilly, and. Elizabeth very discreetly tells them that, well, uh, maybe Wickham's not all he's cut out to be. Now, she doesn't say anything about the the, the near elopement uh, with uh, Mr. Darcy's sister, uh, but she does tell him that he w- about some of the, the monetary things. So we're beginning, she's beginning to uh, let other people know about uh, Wickham and his ill behavior. And the the gardeners very quickly catch on that the the reason that uh, Darcy is being so nice is that he still has that he has affections for Elizabeth. Uh, she's not kind of admitting that yet, but it, it it's coming to be a reality. And when he when they meet Miss Darcy, his younger sister, uh, here's another shock. She is not uh, as it says. This is uh, the middle of one seventy seven. She had heard that Miss Darcy was exceedingly proud, but the observation of a very few minutes convinced her that she was only exceedingly shy. And that's what she is. She seems to be a very shy, retiring girl, not you know proud or, or arrogant at all. Um, and we also, this is the, the first time in quite a long time that we've seen Bingley. Uh, so Elizabeth, in talking to Bingley, and she notices that he, he kind of rather pointedly asks if all of, the, of her sisters are here. Uh, no, it's just her. But that and other things that he says and does makes her pretty certain that he still has an affection for Jane, uh, despite all of the, the efforts to keep the two of them apart. And, of course, they get invited to another dinner. These dinners are very significant in the in the novel, uh, the dinner at Pemberley. But at the end of chapter two, we get a long section uh, of t- thinking of Elizabeth thinking about her feelings about Darcy. Uh, she said that it was uh, it was she had to determine her feelings toward uh, toward one in the mansion that is Darcy, and she lay awake two whole hours endeavoring to make them out. She certainly did not hate him. No hatred had vanished long ago, and she had almost as long been ashamed of of ever feeling a dislike against him that could uh, be so called. The respect created by the conviction of his valuable qualities, though at first unwillingly admitted, had for some time ceased to be repugnant to her feelings. So she's saying, oh, okay, I don't, I don't hate him. In fact, I'm kind of embarrassed that I ever did. You know? And she respects him, the, the, these good qualities, and she used to kind of resent respecting him. She respected him against her will. No, now she just, she just respects him. She just likes him. Um... And finally, she comes at the the idea that her, her feeling towards him, it was gratitude. Gratitude not merely for having once loved her, but for loving her still well enough to forgive all the petulance and acrimony of her manner in rejecting him and all the unjust accusations accompanying her rejection. He who, she had been persuaded, would avoid her as uh, his greatest enemy, seemed on this accidental meeting, most eager to preserve the acquaintance, and without any indication, uh, any indelicate display of regard, or any peculiarity of manner, where their two selves were uh, only were concerned, was soliciting the good opinion of her friends, and bent on making her known to his sister, 
Such a change in a man of so much pride excited not only astonishment, but gratitude. So now she's actually feeling grateful to him. And, and, you know, she's grateful. She's kind of in his debt. She has done, she has really been, she was wrong. And the things she said were completely out of line. And he's not holding any of that against her at all. Um, so she feels, she feels grateful to him. She respected, she esteemed, she was grateful to him. She felt a real interest in his welfare and she only wanted to know how far she wished that welfare to depend upon herself and how far it would be for the happiness of both that she should employ the the power which her fancy told her she still possessed of bringing on the renewal of his addresses okay so now she's seeing a potential with him that you know well could 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 maybe if i play my cards right he will uh, he will he might propose again now one of the things that Jane Austen is famous for is her, I mean, she writes romance novels. She talks about, you know, romantic relations and people falling in love. But she does it in a much more delicate psychological way than almost any other writer. Uh, so we see the steps that Elizabeth is going through. It, it's almost a cliché now of the, the couple that hate each other at the beginning of the movie or have fallen in love by the end. And in most movies, it's not at all believable. But Jane Austen makes it believable because she dramatizes the change. She shows us that, you know, she's gone from from hatred to uh, grudging respect, to genuine respect, to gratitude. I mean, she, she actually kind of spells out how those emotions work, and we understand why they happened that way. Now, at the dinner at Pemberley, we get um, Bingley's sister is really showing out. She says around page, in, on page 183, says, Pray, Miss Eliza, are not the, uh, the blank sure, militia removed from Meryton? That must be a great loss to your family. In Darcy's presence, she dare not mention Wickham's name, but Elizabeth instantly comprehended that he was uppermost in her thoughts. And here again, look at the very careful psychology that's going on here. Uh, it says that, but she had merely, that is, Miss Bingley, had merely intended to discompose Elizabeth by bringing forward the idea of a man to whom she believed her partial. So she's kind of in, indirectly bring up Wickham because she knows that, uh, or thinks, that Elizabeth likes him. Uh, she brought that up to make her betray a sensibility which might injure her, in Darcy's opinion, and perhaps to remind the latter of all the follies and absurdities by which some part of her family were connected with with that core. Not a syllable had ever reached Miss Darcy uh, reached her of Miss Darcy's me, uh, me, uh, meditated elopement. So now Elizabeth realizes that you know. Uh, Miss Bingley has really put her foot in it because she doesn't know the sto- the full story about Bingley. Uh, she heard them say that he was, you know, deserved what he got, but she doesn't know that he tried to seduce uh, Mr. Darcy's sister. So that increases the intimacy between Elizabeth and Darcy. He has shared this secret with her that even, you know, somebody as close to him and much in his social circle as Miss Bingley doesn't even know. And the way that Elizabeth responds to it by not, actually, by not rising, rising to the bait, 
uh, reassures Darcy about her character. At the very bottom of 183, Elizabeth's collected behavior, however, soon quieted his emotion, and as Miss Bingley, vexed and disappointed, dared not approach nearer to Wickham, Georgiana also recovered in time, though not enough to be able to speak any more. So this all comes out great for Elizabeth. Now, when uh, Elizabeth and her uh, aunt and uncle leave, we hear that uh, Miss Bingley is running her down. Uh, it says Miss Bingley was venting her feelings in criticisms of on Elizabeth's person, behavior, and dress. Uh, she's saying that she looks uh, she looks so uh, so brown and coarse. Um, says I never could see any beauty in her, um, and she reminds. Darcy of something that he said when he first saw her at the bottom of 184. She, a beauty, I should as soon call her mother a wit. Uh, and so, yes, replied Darcy, who could contain himself no longer, but that was only when I first knew her. For it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. So that really puts, you know, yes, I, I, I said that, but I know better now. She's, I think, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Uh, now, again, in just the same way, uh, Elizabeth hasn't grown more beautiful in the time, but Darcy's opinion of her has changed. In the same way, I don't think Darcy is behaving quite as differently as Elizabeth thinks, but her opinion of him is so high that it seems like he has. Now, in chapter four, we get the incident that really creates the the momentum for the rest of the the, the plot of the novel. Uh, we get letters from Jan Elizabeth gets letters from Jane that tells her that Lydia has gone off with Wickham. They they think they've gone off to Scotland to get married uh, to Gretna Green. Now Gretna Green was at this time. It's kind of like. Uh, uh, Las Vegas for us. That is, you know, people go there and get, you know, get a quick marriage. Um, that was what kind of Gretna Green was famous for. So that's why they thought that they were uh, going there. Um, but then it turns out they didn't go there. And it seems that they're just running around, not getting married. Now, I think it's very hard for a 21st century audience to understand how unbelievably scandalous that would be. Uh, that uh, a, a young woman, remember she's 16, running around with this man and not married to him, if that became public knowledge, it would ruin her and her family. She would never be able to marry because she would be considered a fallen woman. Uh, everyone would just assume that they had slept together, and you know, the, so she would not be suitable for marriage anymore. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it would be... Again, it's hard for our in, uh, people in our society to understand what an enormous uh, violation of social norms is happening here. And as luck would have it, as Elizabeth gets this news, she finds out that her father has gone off to London. Uh, that uh, uh, father's gone with Colonel Foster to London to try to find them and where they are. Darcy shows up and tells her, uh, and she tells him what's going on because she's got to find her aunt and uncle because they've got to get home right away. And she tells him in the middle of page 188, My youngest sister has left all her friends. She has eloped, has thrown herself into the power of, of Mr. Wickham. They are gone off together from Brighton 
You know him too well to doubt the rest. She has no money, no connections, nothing that can tempt him to... She's lost forever. So Elizabeth is pointing out that Wickham isn't running off with Lydia for her money. She doesn't have any. Remember, her father's not. when her father dies, none of them will inherit the estate. Uh, the only thing he could want from her was sex. And so she's ruined forever. And, and Elizabeth is kicking herself. She said that I might have prevented it. You know, if I had just told somebody about Wickham and, you know, Jane and I decided not to, that he was leaving, that it wouldn't be a big deal. But if we had, we might have been able to stop this. And Elizabeth realizes or thinks how this must be making her look in Darcy's eyes. It's confirming all of the negative things that he said about her family and how disgraceful they are. He says on the top of 189, her power was sinking. Everything must sink under such a proof of family weakness, such an assurance of the deepest disgrace. That never had she so honestly felt that she could have loved him as now, when all love must be in vain. So here, this kind of uh, almost complete reversal of Elizabeth's feelings from intense, intensely disliking and really building up to hatred of Darcy has now turned, she just, she admits now that she does, she completely loves him, but she knows that this kind of family disgrace is exactly the thing that alienated them in the first place, and so there's no hope of their their relationship anymore. And Darcy, you know, stays very quiet and he says, uh, you know, I'm afraid uh, you have been long desiring my absence. Uh, you know, sorry, got to gotta go. And he just kind of excuses himself from the situation. And, she, and it, it says that as he quitted the room, Elizabeth felt how impossible it was that they should ever see each other again on such terms of cordiality as had marked their several meetings in, Deb- in Debrish- Derbyshire. Uh, so she's saying, you know, it, it's never going to be this nice again. I've, you know, uh, uh, Lydia has all, even if, if Lydia can be saved, my relationship has been ruined with Darcy because she knows that Wickham's not going to marry, has no intention of marrying Lydia. And so she knows how scandalous this is going to be and how, shock, how shocking to society and how impossible for uh, uh, Mr. Darcy to be a, associated with. Now, in Chapter 5, it starts off with the aunt and uncle are trying to convince Elizabeth that, you know, surely they're not just running off like that. Surely they do mean to get married. I mean, they have to. But Elizabeth is, you know, very, she's very realistic about this. She says, page 192, Wickham will never marry a woman without some money. He cannot afford it. He's too poor. And they say, well, okay, maybe he's that bad. And, uh, but surely Lydia is of too upstanding a character to do that. And Elizabeth says, no, uh, she is very young. She has never been taught to think on serious subjects. And for the last half year, nay, for 12 months, she has been given up to nothing but amusement and vanity. This is what she was accusing her father of, right? That you're not, you're not controlling her. You're not taking her under your wing, and so this is what it is. She she hasn't been educated. She hasn't been um, uh, uh, brought up right, um, and she's just spent the last year with these romantic fantasies and flirting with soldiers. And this is what's happened. And the the gardeners ask the very sensible question after. 
Elizabeth tells them more about what a what a heel Wickham is. You say, but does Lydia know nothing of this? I mean, wait, you and Jane knew all this. Why doesn't she know it? He says, well, no, we never told her. Again, this is increasing Elizabeth's guilt about the whole thing. Now, when they get back home, they find out that uh, Mr. Bennett has gone to London to look for them. And Mrs. Bennett is is in bed and is you know kind of a, a nervous wreck. Look in the middle, page 195 says that Mrs. Bennet received them exactly as might be expected, with tears and lamentations of regret, invectives against the villainous conduct of Wickham, and complaints about her own suffering and ill usage, blaming everybody but the person to whose ill-judging influence the errors of her daughter must be principally owing. So she's, she's putting no blame on herself for the way she's raised Lydia. It's all somebody else's fault. And look at the specific things that she's worried about. She says, why did Mr. Bennett go to, to London? Um, Mr. Bennett's gone away, and I know he will fight Wickham whenever he meets him, and then he will be killed, and what is to become of us all? The Collinses will turn us out before it is, he is cold in his grave, and if you are not kind to us, brother, I do not know what we shall do. So is she really, I mean, does she really think that Mr. Bennett, of all people, is going to challenge Wickham to a duel. Um, that seems unlikely. But the reason she's worried about it is, is that if Mr. Bennett dies, then they lose possession of the house. Uh, again, she doesn't really seem to understand what the real dangers and real problem is here. She's all wrapped up in her own little world, as she has been throughout the novel. And she's particularly worried about Lydia's wedding clothes. That comes up again and again. Oh, what? well, she doesn't have proper wedding clothes. Um, yeah, that's that's really very low on the, the you know priority list of problems you've got to deal with right now. Uh, but again, this is a wonderful way of dramatizing the frivolous character of Mrs. Bennet. Now, on uh, page 198, we see a letter from Lydia. Uh, where, again, it reveals how very uh, clueless she is. Uh, but she says that they're going to Gretna Green. So at least in her mind, they were going off to get married. Uh, she's not quite as, as bad off as that to run off with a man without even th thinking of getting married. Um, but she doesn't realize the, the full extent of the situation. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 6, we find out that uh, Wickham's formerly sterling reputation in the neighborhood has changed quite a bit. Uh, he was declared to be in debt to every tradesman in the place, and his intrigues all uh, honored uh, with the, the title of seduction had been extended into every tradesman's family. Everybody declared that he was the wickedest young man in the world, and everybody began to find out that they had always distrusted the appearance of his goodness. Now, again, that this is the wonderful, ironic tone that Austin has. Of course, none of them had thought that at all. Now, say, oh, yes, I always knew that he was he was really bad. Um, so, the, again, public opinion on him has is, is shifted quite a bit. And then, as if, you know, enough things weren't going wrong, Mr. Collins sends them a letter where he kind of upbraids them for what's going on. He says, page 202, The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this. Um, 
and he says it proceeds from a faulty degree of indulgence, uh, though I am inclined to think that her own disposition must be naturally bad. So he's not sure whether it's it's nature or nurture, it's whether she's just bad or she was poorly brought up. Uh, but he says that uh, both he and, of course, Lady Catherine agree with me in apprehending that this false step in one daughter will be injurious to the fortunes of all the others. Um, and he advises them to throw off your unworthy child from your affection. Now, you know, we've never liked Mr. Collins, and this kind of just confirms it. But he is really speaking for the community viewpoint on this. He's he's right that if if this hap, you know if this becomes public knowledge, if she's run off with a man and isn't married to him, uh, it's not just going to hurt her; it's going to hurt her whole family. Uh, and his advice to cast her off is what actually what most families would have done in this time in this kind of situation. They would have just disowned her, uh, and so. As as ridiculous as Collins is, and as much as we dislike him, he's voicing something that is very much like the standard community opinion about what's going on here. Now, notice that Mr. Bennett is returning home without Lydia. Basically, Mr. Gardner is going to take care of that. Uh, here again, we see that the, the gardeners really act as surrogate parents for these girls, uh, Mr. Gardner is the one who's in London doing the the, the job of finding Lydia. Uh, Mr. Bennett just kind of gives up and comes home. Notice that uh, Elizabeth's feelings about this, and they're at the bottom of 203. Um, she was perfectly aware that had she known uh, nothing of Darcy, she could have borne the dread of Lydia's infamy somewhat better. It would have spared her, she thought, one sleepless night out of two. So pointing out that really for for Elizabeth, the biggest sting of this is the way that it's completely torpedoed her any hope of a relationship with Darcy, which she thought was becoming possible again. Now look at the, the very end of chapter 6 where Kitty tells her father, if I should ever go to Brighton, I would behave better than Lydia. To which Mr. Bennett replies, You go to Brighton? I would not trust you uh, so near it as uh, as Eastbourne for fifty pounds. No, Kitty, I have at last learnt to be cautious, and you will feel the effects of it. No officer is ever to enter my house again, not even to pass through the village. Balls will be absolutely prohibited unless you uh, stand up with one of your sisters, and you are never to stir out of doors till you can prove that you can spend ten minutes of every day in a rational manner. Kitty, who took all of these threats in a serious light, began to cry. Well, well, said he, do not make yourself unhappy. If you are a good girl for the next ten years, I will take you to a review at the end of them. So, now here, again, we see, in a way, you could say, well, has, has Mr. Bennett learned his lesson? Well, I guess in a way he has, except he's really not serious about this. He's teasing Kitty. He's being the same kind of ironic, detached, sarcastic humor that he's always had. Uh, and it's not clear that uh, Mr. Bennett has learned much at all from all of this. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 7, we get a letter 
from an express letter from uh, Mr. Gardner. It says that he's discovered them. They're not married, and they will, but they will be for long. All that is required of you is to assure to your daughter by settlement her equal share of the 5,000 pounds secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister. So what he's saying is that when their inheritance is basically 5,000 pounds, and he's saying that, well, she has to, you have to agree that she gets her share of that. She gets 1,000 pounds of that. And moreover, to enter into an engagement of uh, allowing her during your life 100 pounds per annum. So as long as Mr. Bennett is alive, he's going to pay her 100 pounds a year. Um, Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. So what he's saying, everybody has assumed that the reason Wickham, you know, got out of town was that he was in debt to everyone. But uh, Mr. Gardner is saying apparently his finances aren't as in bad a trouble as we thought. He's he's going, he doesn't, he's not making outrageous financial demands. Now look at how Mr. Bennett responds to all this, the bottom of 206. Um, he says, yes, yes, they must marry. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things that I very much want to know. One is how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about, and the other, how I can, how I'm ever to pay him. And James, money? What? What do you mean? He says, "Well, look, uh, Wickham is not a guy who is going to marry a girl like Lydia on, for such a small amount of money." As as Elizabeth has said before, he can't afford to marry a girl without money. So Mr. Gardner must have paid off all of his debts. That's the only way that he would agree to something like this. So while Mr. Bennett is relieved that this has been resolved, but is very upset about knowing that somebody else has had to pay, pay off this scoundrel to marry his daughter... Mrs. Bennett has a very different reaction. This is on page 208. You know, she could hardly contain herself. This is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at 16. My good, kind brother, I knew it would be. I knew he would manage everything. How I longed to see her and to see uh, dear Wickham, too. But the clothes, the wedding clothes, I will write to my sister Gardner about them directly. All right, so again, Mrs. Bennett has a one-track mind. Her daughter is getting married and married at sixteen. How it, how great! But oh, we've got to make sure that she's got the right wedding clothes. Um, again, she's just got a big clueless sign hung on her. And when Elizabeth points out to her that they've they've pretty much figured out that uh, Mr. Gardner must have paid Wickham quite a lot of money to get him to do this, this is how. Uh, Mrs. Bennet responds, Well, cried her mother, it is very right. Who should do it but her uncle? If he had not had a family of his own, I and my children must have uh, had all the money you all the money you know, and it is the first time we have ever had anything from him except a few presents. Well, I am so happy. So she's just saying, Oh, you know, he had to pay that well, you know, he, he never we've never really gotten much from him anyway, and you know, he's her uncle, he should pay that. Uh, she just completely dismisses the 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 debt, uh, both financial 
and moral that they're in to Mr. Gardner for what he's done for Lydia. And uh, while we get that negative picture of Mrs. Bennett, we get another fairly negative picture of Mr. Bennett, too, on page 210. It says, His chief wish at present was to have as little trouble in business as in the business as possible. When the first transports of rage, which had produced an activity in seeking her, uh, were, seeking her were over, he naturally returned to all his former indolence. So he had this you know, kind of flurry of activity, but now he's kind of sunk back into his usual uh, lazy, uh, uh, detached attitude. Um, but he does say that um, uh, he, will, th- he would never allow Wickham to come into his house. And, of course, you know, he's going to relent on that. Uh, but the chapter ends, uh, again, with... Elizabeth's reflections about this, and they're mostly about her relationship with Darcy and how this has ruined that. The very bottom of 211, Elizabeth was now most heartily sorry that she had, from the distress of the moment, been led to make Mr. Darcy acquainted with their fears for her sister. He said, you know, he, 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 came, he came there right there the moment the letter came, and she just told him, and man, she wishes that she hadn't. Uh, says at the top of 212. It was not to be supposed that Mr. Darcy would con- uh, connect himself with a family where to every other objection would be added an alliance with a relationship of the nearest kind with the man whom he so justly scorned. So there's another thing. Even, even if he wasn't outraged by the, the, the scandalous behavior of Lydia in, in this family, the fact that if he married Elizabeth, then... Wickham would be his brother-in-law, uh, and he hates Wickham. Uh, so that this is pretty much put an end to any of those hopes. But now, you know, seeing that a relationship with him is impossible, she realizes how much she loves him. Said so She began now to comprehend that he was exactly the man who, in disposition and talents, would most suit her. His understanding and temper though unlike her own, would have answered all her wishes. It was a union that must have been to the advantage of both. By her ease and liveliness, his mind might have been softened, his manners improved, and from his judgment, information, and knowledge of the world, she must have received benefit of great importance. So it's not only that she loves him, she sees that they would be really good for each other that the, the things that were opposite about them, that kind of made made for the friction and, and dislike at the beginning of the relationship, are actually things that mean that they would really complement each other beautifully if they ever could become a couple. Now, we find out from uh, Mr. Gardner in a letter that uh, Wickham is leaving the militia and he's going to become a commissioned officer. You have to kind of buy your way into that. So he's clearly gotten some money to do that, um, and that his his debts have all been paid off, that he seems to be riding pretty high right now. Uh, now, in chapter 9, we get the wedding day. And again, this is one of these wonderful comic scenes that Austin has where Lydia is just oblivious and Wickham is acting as if nothing was ever, ever wrong. And, and, you know, it's a horribly uncomfortable social situation for everyone. She says, uh, uh, bottom of 214, Lydia, 
was Lydia still, untamed, unabashed, wild, noisy, and fearless. And Wickham is still has still has his beautiful manners. He's very very not pleasant to be with. He's just a horrible horrible man. And Elizabeth finally has to just kind of storm out of the room. She can't take any any more of of Lydia's nonsense. And she gets in some nice little digs at Lydia. She says in the middle of two sixteen that uh, Lydia said that she would find her a husband. And Lydia says, I thank you for my share of the favor, said Elizabeth, but I do not particularly like your way of getting husbands. Uh, this just rolls off Lydia's back. She doesn't, you know, doesn't pay attention to it or care what, uh, what uh, Elizabeth thinks. But Lydia does tell Elizabeth about the wedding day itself uh, when, they were, when they were married in London. And it was all set that her uncle was going to give her away, but he he was gone, and it looked like he wasn't going to get back. And if they he didn't get there by a certain time, they wouldn't be able to be married that day. But then they thought, oh well, it doesn't matter. Mister Darcy could could give me away at the ceremony. That would work fine. And this is just like a bolt out of the blue. What, what did you say? Bottom of two seventeen. Mister Darcy repeated Elizabeth in utter amazement. Oh yes. He was to come to. He was to come there with Wickham, you know. But gracious me, I quite forgot. I ought not to have said a word about it. I promised them so faithfully. What will Wickham say? It was meant to be a, such a secret. So, Darcy was there at the wedding, and it, it didn't want anyone to know about it. Well, of course, this is going to pique Elizabeth's curiosity, and she, you know, she wonders. You know, Mister Darcy had been at her sister's wedding. It was exactly a scene and exactly among people where he had apparently least to do and least temptation to go. Conjectures as to the meaning of it, rapid and wild, hurried into the uh, the brain, but she was satisfied with none. Those that best pleased her, as placing his conduct in the noblest light, seemed most improbable. She could not bear such suspense, and hastily seizing a sheet of paper, wrote a short letter to her aunt. Okay, so she's got. So, this is the mystery that will lead us into the the final movement of the novel. And I want you to think about the. This is uh, again a Jane Austen novel. They're all going to live happily ever after. Don't worry. Uh, but notice how that comes about. How happiness, both for Jane and for Elizabeth, uh, is created in the end of end of the book, and. One thing I, one scene I want you to particularly think about, is when uh, Elizabeth is has a little debate with Lady Catherine, uh, and think about what that says about Elizabeth and her character, and uh, and who she is, and see, you know, just in general how this is resolved, how everything works out happily. Is it just a fairy tale ending? Uh, what are the elements of of realism in in this? Uh, so we'll be looking at the final uh, movement of Pride and Prejudice for next time. So for now, I thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you next time.